0: Country music there for you. Hopefully some of you enjoyed that. I didn't so much. Uh, welcome everybody to Eagle Brook Church. It's great to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses, I want to welcome you. If you are at one of our watching this message online, it's great to have you a part of our church as well. We are in the third week of a series called Dumb Things That Christians Say. One Christian that I know said you could do a whole year-long series on that topic, and that's coming from a Christian. Today's message is one of the most common cliches out there, but before we get to the actual cliche, I want to begin with a question. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt overwhelmed? Certainly we all have. A few weeks ago, my three-year-old son Jasper kept waking up in the middle of the night. It was, he, had a, he was cold. He had a nightmare about monkeys. I mean, it was always something. Something. And so when the morning came and our other three kids woke up, my wife and I said, hey, just go downstairs, fix yourself your own breakfast, and let mommy and daddy sleep for a little bit longer. Ten minutes later, my daughter comes bursting into the room, and she says, dad, come quick, big fight. I come downstairs, and my 10-year-old is on top of my 8-year-old pushing his head into the living room floor. I rip him off, I'm completely fuming, and I said, what is going on here? And that's when my 10-year-old just launched into it. He said, he's trying to heat up pasta for breakfast. I told him pasta is not a breakfast food, that he had to have cereal or toast, but he won't listen to me. And I said, so you decided to push his head into the wood floor? And my 10-year-old, who's very much like, there's a certain way things need to be done, looked at me like, well, what else do you expect me to do? (laughs) He's trying to have pasta for breakfast. That's how my day started. The very next day, I had a ton to do here at work. I was writing messages for Eagle Brook. I'm teaching an online preaching course right now at Northwestern University over in St. Paul. And I'm also coaching both of my son's basketball teams. So I bit off a little more than I can chew this winter. But I was in a meeting recently and my wife texted me and she said, I just passed out, can't drive home, call me. Turns out my wife had taken our three-year-old son to the doctor, and while he was there, he needed to have his blood taken. So while he was having his blood taken, not my wife's blood, mind you, his blood, my wife passed out. The nurse was like, ma'am, ma'am, and she was like in the seven-mile stair, not responding. And so the nurse went and got another nurse, and they came back just in time to catch my wife as she toppled over. So I had to drive to the doctor, get my wife, bring her home, go back and get her car, which we had left at the doctor, drive that to the mechanic because it had been acting up. When my head hit the pillow that night, I was completely exhausted. Look at what David writes in Psalm 38. He says this, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. I am exhausted and I'm completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. And then he says, troubles surround me, too many to count. They pile up so high, I can't see my way out. As I was reading that verse, I had this visual image come to my mind. And the visual image was these boxes. Imagine for a moment that these boxes represent trouble in your life. Some of us have financial trouble. We've got debt. We've got things that we need to pay off. Some of us have marriage trouble. Some of us just kind of have relationships in general kind of trouble. And then, of course, you've got kid trouble. Many of us have that. You've got in-law trouble. Everyone's got a little bit of that. You've got some house trouble, right? Because your house, because things go wrong with it every now and then. You've got sibling trouble. You still haven't gotten over that from your childhood. Then you've got work trouble, you got all kinds of trouble at work. You got car trouble. You got to take your car in for that. Then, you know, you just, the trouble just starts piling up. And pretty soon, you've got so much trouble, you can't even see your way out. Look at what David says again in this verse Troubles surround me, too many to count. They pile up so high, I can't even see my way out. If you have so much trouble in your life, and some of us may have that right now. Where it feels like you can't see your way out, you officially have more than you can handle. Reminds me of a story I heard years ago about a guy named Brian Heiss. Heiss's story is so crazy that you wouldn't believe it except it's in the Encyclopedia Britannica yearbook. Heiss woke up one morning to find that his apartment was flooding. A pipe had broken in the middle of the night and so his landlord told him to go rent a vacuum to suck up the water. But when he went down to his car, he discovered he had a flat tire. So he changed the tire on his car, went back into his house to call a friend, but he got electrocuted while he was on the phone. So he inadvertently ripped the phone off of the wall. All the 25-year-olds right now are going, phone on the wall? Like, what is the story about the caveman? Like, what? There was phones on the wall, and he accidentally ripped it off. He then went to leave his house, but the, he discovered that his lock had been jammed by the water damage, so he had to kick down his door. And when he got back out to his car, he found out that somebody had stolen his car while he was up making the phone call. So he had a military ceremony that he had to participate in that night, and so he called a friend to come pick him up. But the friend was in the ceremony, and as part of this, he had a bayonet that he was using, and the bayonet was sitting in the passenger seat. Brian didn't see it, he jumped in the car, and they had to take him to the hospital for multiple stitches. When he got home, he he slipped on his wet floor, badly injuring his tailbone. Brian wrote, he said, I began to think God was trying to kill me, but just kept missing. (laughs) I'm guessing that Brian felt like he had more than he could handle. Ever been there before? Ever gone through a day, a week, or years where it felt like this is just more than one person can handle? If you've ever gone through a time like that, you can almost bank On some well-meaning person coming up to you and saying, Don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, if you've ever said that phrase before, please don't feel bad. I'm sure I've said it on occasion myself. But where does that idea come from? It's actually not in the Bible. It comes from a misinterpretation of the Bible. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what other people experience. In other words, we all face the same kinds of temptations. He says, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can handle. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The verse says that God won't tempt you beyond what you can handle. In other words, what this verse is saying is, When any of us sin, we can't say, well, it's not my fault. I mean, there's just nothing I could do. I was so tempted. No excuses. God will always give you a way out of temptation. Sin is resistible. God will not tempt you beyond what you can handle. But that's different than God won't give you more than you can handle. The Bible never says that. In fact, the opposite is actually true. All throughout the scriptures, we see stories of people who felt like God had given them more than they could handle. In Judges chapter 6, there's a man named Gideon, and Gideon is told by God to lead the nation of Israel into battle. Look at how Gideon responds to God. He says, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe, and I am the least in my entire family. In other words, I can't even lead my family, God, let alone lead the nation of Israel into battle. Gideon felt like God had given him more than he could handle. Then there's Moses. God goes to Moses and he says, I want you to confront Pharaoh. I want you to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery and out of Egypt. And Moses says back to God, he says, God, I have a stuttering problem. I'm not a very good public speaker. There's no way I can confront Pharaoh. Moses felt like God had given him more than he could handle. Maybe you felt the same way. Maybe there's been a time in your life when you felt like God was saying, I want you to serve in your church. I want you to lead your family member or your neighbor to faith in Christ. I want you to start a Bible study at work or school and try to impact them for Jesus Christ. And you're going, but God, I don't know the Bible that well. And I don't think I'm a good enough speaker to be able to do that. It felt like more than you could handle. Or maybe for you, it's not so much something that God's asking you to do, as much as it's just the result of living in a sinful and fallen world. Because I know a guy in his 30s who recently lost his wife to cancer. He's trying to work a full-time job, take care of both of his kids, and grieve the loss of his wife at the very same time. Quite honestly, it's more than one person can handle. I know another family who's going through some financial struggles right now, and it's so stressful. Every month, they just wonder, am I going to be able to pay off the mortgage, or are we going to have to foreclose on our house? And they're completely overwhelmed by it. talked to a college student who said, you know, between trying to find an internship, final exams, and playing a college sport, I am completely overwhelmed. Another young adult told me about the pressure to figure out what you're going to do with your life. Everybody's like, Where are you gonna live? What are you gonna do for a living? Who are you gonna marry? And they're like, I just feel completely overwhelmed by this. Maybe for you, it's not so much a traumatic event in your life as much as it's just life itself. You've got multiple kids in sports, you've got two parents working full time jobs, and you just start adding up all there is to do. You wanna get to church got to get your kids to sports, you got to make sure they get their homework done, you got to make dinner, clean up after dinner, oh, remember your nephew's birthday party next weekend, you got to get a present for that, and you just feel completely overwhelmed. If you're a parent, you probably know this feeling. They asked comedian Jim Gaffigan what it's like to have four kids, and he said, it's like you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby. <laughs> it's pretty much how he felt. And so let me ask you, is there any area of your life right now where you feel overwhelmed? Where it just feels like, this is more than I can handle. Here is the good news for you today. God will frequently give you more than you can handle. Some of you are like, why is that good news? That sounds like awful news. It's not. In fact, let me give you two declarations or statements that can get you through an overwhelming time in life. These are two declarations I hope you can remember for when you're going through a time like this. The first one is this. Never let the presence of a problem cause you to doubt the presence of God. It's a great quote from Pastor Craig Rochelle. Never let the presence of a problem cause you to doubt the presence of God. See, here's the unfortunate truth. When things are going well in our life, we tend to forget about God. We're like, you know, I know I need you, God, but I don't really need you right now, because my life's going great, and I hope you keep it going great. We don't really have that urgency to pray or to seek after God. But then guess what happens when life takes a turn for the worse. You now, all of a sudden, we need God now. We're absolutely desperate for Him. When I was in high school, I used to think I don't need God. I actually used to tell people that I'd say, "I don't need to go to church. I don't need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I said, I've got great parents. I've got good friends, I'm playing sports, I've got a girlfriend, I'm doing pretty well in school. I thought my life was fine with all of that. Or so I thought. Because my freshman year of college, everything changed. I dealt with the death of a loved one. I was away from my family and friends for the first time and I was lonely and I was homesick. In fact, I can remember thinking that my girlfriend was kinda all I had left. And so I was gonna go visit her one night before she was leaving on a trip. And I didn't know this, but she had already planned on breaking up with me. She was a follower of Christ. I wasn't. And she knew that if we didn't share that value, this relationship wasn't going anywhere. I didn't know that. So when I got to her house, she was on the phone with a friend, and I got super upset. And I'm not proud of this, but when she finally got off the phone, I was angry. I'm like, I drove all this way to see you. You should immediately get off the phone. I'm swearing at her which made the whole let's-just-be-friends conversation very easy on her. (laughs) The next night, amen, thanks, sir. (laughs) The next night, my parents were driving me back to school, and we went to a Ciotti's restaurant in St. Cloud, and right in the middle of the restaurant, this high school guy stands up and he begins to yell at his girlfriend. Never seen anything like it in my life. My first thought was, how do you become the kind of guy who would speak to your girlfriend that way, And my second thought was, you are that guy. That night, my parents drove me back to my dorm room, and I was all alone. My great parents were driving back home. My good friends were scattered at different colleges throughout the country. My girlfriend had broken up with me. And I reached into my pocket, and I pulled out a pamphlet. It was about a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure that this girl had given it to me. She was like, we're breaking up. You need Jesus. Read this. And so... I did, I read it. And I discovered that my sin had separated me from God, but that God loved me so much, he sent his one and only son to die for me so that I could live with him forever in eternity. And that night I prayed one of my first real prayers and meant it. I was finally desperate enough. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jonas once said this. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Not in my success, but in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. But see, here's what happens to a lot of people. They go through a time of distress, and instead of calling out to God, they question God. They go, well, if God, if you loved me, you wouldn't have done that. And if you were all powerful, you wouldn't have allowed that to happen to me. If that's you right now, I want to remind you of this very simple truth. Never let the presence of a problem cause you to doubt the presence of God. Rather, let the presence of a problem propel you towards God. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Bible says that nothing can separate you from the love of God found in Jesus Christ. What if God wants to take you through a difficult time right now in order to teach you how to rely upon him? In order to cause you to trust him in a deeper way and to call out to him in your distress. Never let the presence of a problem cause you to doubt the presence of God. Here's the second declaration or statement that can get you through an overwhelming time in life. It's this. Never let the power of your problems cause you to doubt the power of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing this letter to the people of Corinth and he's telling them a little bit about his life and what he's going through. And he says this, he says, I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and completely overwhelmed and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Paul wasn't kidding. Paul was shipwrecked He was bit by a poisonous snake. He was put under house arrest. He was beaten within an inch of his life for preaching about Jesus Christ. Those are some powerful kinds of problems. Maybe you have some powerful problems in your life right now. I want you to hear Paul's conclusion on this. It's a crucial insight for every single one of us. He says this, but as a result, as a result of all that stuff that I went through, we learned not to rely on ourselves But on God who can raise the dead. God will give you more than you can handle so that you can experience his great power working in your life. And notice that he says, But on God who can raise the dead. Right before Jesus Christ went to the cross, he went to pray in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that he was under such stress and such strain that he was literally sweating blood. You might say, is that even medically possible? It actually is. Medical researchers have found that around our sweat glands, there are blood vessels, and when those blood vessels are put under an incredible amount of strain and stress, they can actually rupture. And when that happens, blood gets into your sweat glands so that when you sweat, it comes out as a mixture of droplets of blood and your sweat. Here's my point. If you are sweating to the point of sweating blood, you officially have more than you can handle. And that was Jesus Christ. If God gave Jesus Christ more than he could handle, most likely he will give us more than we can handle at times as well. You might say, well, why? Same reason as Jesus. Same reason as Paul. Paul said this, but as a result, We learned not to rely on ourselves, but on God who can raise the dead. Let me ask you have you learned to rely on God? Second question is when things aren't going well for you, who or what do you rely on? Some people rely on their spouse. They're like, meet my needs, make me feel good about myself. There's not a human being in the world who can always do that for you. You are setting your spouse up to fail. Some people turn to their boyfriend or their girlfriend or the excitement of finding a boyfriend or girlfriend. Some people turn to money and success. Some people turn to painkillers and substances. Friends, do not waste your suffering. Do not waste your stress. Don't miss out on the ability, the opportunity to learn something that every leader and every person needs to learn, and that's this, the ability to rely on God. A little bit later, again, in 2 Corinthians, the same letter, Paul talks about something he calls his thorn in the flesh. And he never identifies even what the thorn in his flesh is, but it says that three times Paul prayed that God would take away this thorn in his flesh. And three times, here's what Paul heard back from God. He heard these words, My grace is all that you need. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Instead of saying, I need to be strong, what if each of us said, I need to be weak? Because it's in my weakness that I experience God's power. First time I ever spoke at a church in my life, I got physically sick. I actually threw up right before I came up on the platform. And so when I got up there, I was pale and in a cold sweat. Not sure about how the congregation felt about a pale, sweaty pastor, but that's what they got that weekend. And I actually got sick about the first 10 times that I spoke. These days, I still get nervous, which is why right before I come out, I am on my knees and I am praying that God's power would be made perfect in my weakness. And then I've started this thing where I physically take a step forward. I recently saw a message by Pastor Craig Rochelle where he talks about how he takes this step forward. And that step is symbolic. It says, out of myself and into the power of God. I may feel inadequate, I may feel weak, but in that step, I am declaring that God's grace is all that I need and his power is made perfect in weakness. Anyone else here today need to take a step? A step out of your own power and strength and into the power and strength of God? You know, maybe you are recently a brand new parent and as a parent you feel completely inadequate and you're completely overwhelmed When you approach your son or daughter's crib, you take a step. And in that step, you declare, out of my power and strength and into yours, God. Maybe you're working someplace where you just don't feel like you can be yourself. And you're kind of nervous at work and you feel inadequate at work. When you step into your office or your cubicle this week, you take a step. And in that step, you declare, God, your grace is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. See, here's the real danger behind this cliche. It points people inward instead of Godward. When someone says, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle, they imply that you've got what it takes. I mean, you can bear this. It's all about you and what you can handle. But the Bible never points us inward. It always points us Godward. Look what David writes in Psalm 121. He says this, where does my help come from? His answer is not from within. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God will give you more than you can handle. If you are a foster parent, if you're a single parent, if you're parenting a teenager, you have more than you can handle right now. If you are a man married to a woman, you definitely have more than you can handle. Amen? And of course, women to men as well, of course. (laughs) God will give you more than you can handle, but get this. God will give you more than you can handle, but he won't give us more than he can handle. That's an important truth. God will give us more than we can handle, but not more than he can handle. It's not about what you can handle. It's about what he can handle. I mentioned earlier that I'm coaching both my son's basketball teams this fall, and on my son Hudson's team, there's a third grader named Matthew. Matthew played last year as a second grader, and for the whole season, he wasn't able to score a basket in the game. Through three games of our season this year, he had not scored a basket in a game, but in our fourth game, Matthew scored his first ever basket. I happened to look over at his dad, who was at the scorer's table when it happened, And he had the proudest look on his face. I later found out why. When Matthew was 20 months old, he contracted a fever. And nobody thought much of it except for he would twitch just a little bit or shake every now and then. And so just to be safe, they brought him into Children's Hospital. Where his brain was hooked up to 20 monitors. And they monitored him like that for several days. And at the end of it, the doctor called Matthew's parents... Into his office, and he said, Your son has epilepsy. Time stopped. His parents had no idea. And this launched them on several years of having more than they could handle. Matthew's dad told me that he estimates that at one time his son had 50 seizures in one day. They would have to put a helmet on him at dinner to make sure that he didn't hit his head after having a seizure. If he had a seizure of more than five minutes long, his parents would have to inject him with medicine using a syringe. They never even thought he would play basketball, let alone be able to score a basket in a game. These days, Matthew is a fully functioning normal boy. He actually scored a basket again in our game today. But for many years there, it was touch and go. He's fully functioning, they credit it with a a diet developed at John Hopkins University and a lot of prayer that his brain actually began to heal itself. But for many years, it was overwhelming. Seizures, ambulances at the house, hospital visits, injecting your son with a syringe. Matthew's dad says there was two things that got us through. The first one was their small group. 18 months before all this happened, they joined a small group here at Eagle Brook to pray, to read the Bible with a group of people from church. And he said, that group got us through. They brought us meals. They cared for us. He said, they gave us a place to cry. He said, I never could have just cried with my buddies. But I needed to cry for my son. And our small group was that place. Friends, if you're going through a time that feels like more than you can handle, one of the great gifts that God will give you is other people. They will bear your burdens. But don't wait until that moment happens. Join a small group today. This isn't about just making some new friends. This is about having some people from your church to love you and surround you with the love of Jesus Christ. If you're not in a small group, you can get in a men's group, women's group, couples group. Stop off in your lobby at your campus. There's a sign that says next steps. Just tell them, I want to be a part of a small group. But the second thing that got them through, he said, was a relationship with Jesus Christ. Matthew's dad told me, he said, you know, every single person is going to go through a time when they feel overwhelmed. The question is, where will you turn for help? his family turned to Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the verses that they clung to during this whole time was Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Matthew's dad read that verse every single night. He said, even if I just had this much energy, I would read that verse, and my head would hit the pillow, and I would think to myself, come to me, All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Let me ask you, anyone here today weary? Anyone here today carrying a heavy burden? Come to Jesus Christ. He will give you rest. In fact, today that's what we want to do together as a church. We're going to celebrate communion together. And so at this time, I want to invite the communion servers down to begin passing out the elements. If you're at a campus where it's underneath the seat of the person in the end of your row, go ahead and pass that down at this time. But the night before Jesus Christ was betrayed, he knew the overwhelming things that were about to happen. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which has been broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. He then took a cup and he raised it and he said, This is my blood. Which will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate in communion, but the Bible does say that you have to be a follower of Jesus Christ to understand the significance. And we've got new communion cups, thankfully, so I want to walk you through this. (laughs) You peel it back once to get to the juice at the top, and then at the bottom, you peel it off to get to the wafer, and you actually can peel it off now, so it's an improvement. But here's what I want to say to you today. Here's what I want to say to you today. Come. All you who feel weary, just come. All of you who have a heavy burden that you're carrying, come. All you who want more of Jesus Christ in your life, come to him. He will give you rest. In fact, before you take communion, I would encourage you just spend a moment in prayer. Maybe you're going through an overwhelming time right now. Maybe you're not. But we all have problems and we all get tired and we all get weary with life. And just let this be a moment to take a deep breath and hear Jesus Christ say to you today, come, come all you who are weary Come all you who have heavy burdens. I see what you're going through. I see the heavy burdens that you're carrying. Why don't you come to me right now in this moment and I will give you rest.